Today's discussion will be led by Mandar. He is a chartered accountant by qualification with more than a decade's experience in multinationals and Indian conglomerates. His core roles have been in finance and strategy. He is an avid follower of the startup ecosystem with a specific focus on health, education and alternate energy. The talk would be moderated by Ankur. He is an engineer turned startup enthusiast with a decade and a half association with entrepreneurs. After an initial stint as a management consultant, his focus has now been in healthcare. Hey, hi Mandar, what's up? How's COVID treating you? Hey, hi Ankur. Hope uh, uh, God save COVID should not treat me. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and, uh, being at home, working from home, doing everything from home, uh, technology at its best, uh, and uh, yeah, keeping track of the COVID as well. What uh, have of its uh, you know doing to the world? Yeah, yeah. Very strange times. Yeah, very strange times, and that is um, you know time. Obviously, these are like once in a lifetime. I would say, um, not say an opportunity, but then yeah, uh, you know, incident where we can learn a lot of uh, extreme situations, um, like global financial crisis. Obviously, was one great depression, right. and uh, uh, the pandemic kind of situation we never faced, uh, or even baby boomers uh, until like baby boomers nobody faced it. So okay. it's uh, good to see. Uh, in a way, I again, uh, obviously, it's very very bad situation to be into, but then. Good to see how prepared we are for this kind of extreme extreme situations, uh-huh. and um, uh, how it is rather you know affecting each and every sector which we thought would be kind of you know immune, and there are likely to be you know new winners and maybe more losers from this. So yeah. yeah. So speaking of sectors, so so what are we talking to today, Mandar? I mean, what will you take us through today? I think um, uh, really one of the sector which. Um, uh, came out um, very vividly during this crisis i feel is uh, the education sector uh, which hitherto uh, was relatively not on the radar of the uh, the investing community mm-hmm. uh, even though if uh, you have to watch the size of the education industry globally almost um, 7 trillion dollar that's um, huge but still, if you see it in terms of in startups investing, specifically, you know that's how uh, you know the new age or the trends investing is caused. Um, the VCP uh, attractiveness of the edtech or education technology sector has been relatively very very low. So um, uh, I feel uh, COVID has, I think, you know, kind of turned the tables for uh, education industry um, significantly. That's what I think we will uh, you know discuss today. In terms of what has happened and then maybe you know uh, what eventually uh, will be the future scenario for the educational sector and related adjacencies for this sector as well. It's interesting. You use the word edtech and then you said educational technology. So can you break it down for our audience? What does it actually mean when we say edtech? Yes, yes. So I think um, see now nowadays I think it has become a fashion to add tech to everything. Like earlier it was E to be added to everything. Uh, <laughs> and now it is like you know you add health tech, ad tech, uh, ad tech kind of thing. But if you actually you know go deeper into the uh, sector, I think what is important is to understand um, education is the broader sector and ad tech is only one of the part of it. And then. You know, you know, from technology perspective, also there are a lot many things which you know typically are there which can be done. Uh, 
if you actually going to have to segment the sector you know in a proper way so um, i think um, what i would say is you know um, education has always been one of the fundamental you know right we as we say typically in roti kapda makan or basically you know the food shelter and the clothing are the yeah. fundamental necessities and nowadays obviously the internet has become you know even more basic necessities so i think education is something which is not going to die any point of time because that's the fundamental uh, you know um, uh, the trait which differentiates um, us from any other animal i would say okay. so uh, from that perspective this is a bigger sector um, and um, if if i have to kind of you know again come back to that question in terms of uh, how do you kind of you know segregate uh, sector and industry and um, what are the different different uh, segments into it hmm. so if i if i have to see very simply the you know cycle uh, the life cycle of an education in anybody's uh, uh, individual life so obviously you have an early years learning then primary secondary tertiary and then nowadays what we typically call it in lifelong learning uh, okay. for a professional so um, typically you know if, if one goes to this cycle and again kind of you know break down uh, bit into that in terms of you know k12 uh, you know and then you know a pre primary kind of thing so uh, typically you have this four to five kind of you know bigger uh, chunk of uh, you know segments where uh, people can focus on um, from both the investing for investment perspective as well as from you know uh, what entrepreneurs can do in this particular uh, you know sectors Correct. and um, uh when i said edtech uh, is a kind of you know maybe a very short term uh, or very you know smaller segment in an overall pie um, typically the way in education as a sector is structured is um, k12 if i kind of you know break that 6 trillion dollar 7 trillion dollar economy into four five segments yeah. typically it is you know the k12 uh, yeah. then you have an ast which is called after school tutoring online apps kind of in market okay then you have all these um, university services which is called an online program management mm-hmm. um then uh, even though this may not an uh, english language tutoring may not be a separate segment but then surely by you know the kind of value and the volume that is there as far as english language tutoring is concerned i think that's also another segment which typically is looked at at uh by the investors and the uh, you know, uh, you know uh, entrepreneurs community hmm. um and then comes edtech okay so edtech becomes another you know very small pie to give you a perspective edtech only accounts around 3% of the overall education spend so it's it's still kind of you know very very small amount because it, it basically is a tools a technological tool which helps you know education to you know go digital from the physical kind of you know um environment and then next is basically a professional training kind of thing so uh, among all of these uh, the largest obviously is the k12 which almost is like 50% of the overall market uh, around 3 trillion dollar market um then i think uh, professional training comes second in terms of an you know overall market pie which is around almost 360 billion dollar um and then comes the ast that is after school tutoring um and which is around 85 billion dollar and um, then is your english language which is around 43 billion uh, so uh, even the university services on an overall if, if i consider a higher education spend it is around 2 trillion dollar but 
right now nobody is kind of attacking that piece directly everybody is attacking the online program management piece uh, which is again a very very small pie as compared to the overall higher education spend which is around only 3 and 1/2 billion dollar out of 2 trillion dollars so so if i kind of you know kind of summarize the overall segment for the benefit of everybody 6 trillion dollar bifurcated into around 3 trillion dollar in k12 2 trillion dollar is the higher education but nobody is focusing on the higher education per se everybody is focusing on the ancillaries or supportive tech for that higher education which is only around 8 and 1/2 to 9 billion dollar out of 2 trillion dollar then you have professional training which again has been a focus of many of the players which is a large chunk uh, of 360 billion dollar asd online apps of the school tutoring 85 billion dollar around and then you have a china Uh, sorry the english language tutoring kind of you know uh, apps around 43 billion dollars there also uh, english language student just to give a perspective the kind of market it is from the user perspective there are around 2 billion learners out of 7 billion 7 and 1/2 billion population that we have in the world okay 2 billion learners english language learners we have so it's a huge market okay. as far as english language is concerned so uh, what what i intend to kind of you know uh, give you a perspective is you know when we say edtech edtech i think should not be kind of you know loosely seen as you know just digitizing certain thing or you know giving certain apps for helping students to learn i think it is uh, a very very broad kind of you know uh, terminology where i think we should stay in education as a sector and not only look at edtech as a uh, one of the you know uh, phenomena in it. um and then according as you know the entire perspective gets broadened in terms of where all you can play and what are the opportunities available to us and and just for the benefit of some of the people when you say k12 what does it mean k12 so it's basically you know from standard one you know we typically k12 excludes primary kind of you know education it uh, starts with standard onwards okay. typically uh but again it can be used interchangeably and up to you know the high school kind of you know uh, level okay. um and uh, again uh, india specific phenomena not necessarily globally and then there are competitive exams so that's one of the bigger market um, obviously globally they we have gmat and other uh, competitive exams but india specifically have got uh, uh, all these um, ias and je and neat kind of you know competitive exam which is another very very big market which is separate from the k12 market so what i talked about is in global context but if i come to the indian context that's another big segment which is there and then typically most of the players again start have started from you know that segment first and then moved into k12 kind of in the segment later on of time so that's very interesting since you spoke about india and so let's get uh, deeper into india so uh, so 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 take us through some of these you know, the, the 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 whole how has this whole education or even edtech shaped up you know what are the issues typical consumer behavior i mean what's the as is situation in india i mean how how has it been in the last 10 15 20 years you know can you take us through some of these yes so um um see again means you know when, whenever somebody looks at an education i think uh, it's really important that you know globally and even in india it's not an exception that um, majority of the expenditure is done by the government um okay. and from the you know overall stakeholders perspective or the you know the who are basically the players in the entire education value chain uh, obviously there is uh, a student in picture then the parents are 
the key uh, in the entire decision making process because student cannot take any decision on its own. And I'm talking about the K-12 right now, focusing on the early uh, education piece of it. We'll come to the professional and the scaling, upskilling part of it sometime later. Okay. So, uh, from that perspective, uh, uh, parent, student, then teachers are one of the most important, uh, you know, stakeholders in it. Because uh, ultimately, uh, parents make the decision based on who the teacher is and what is his track record. Um, that based on that, you know, the school is decided. Based on that, the coaching center is decided. Um, and last comes, uh, you know, who pays for it. Correct. Hmm. So if I if I have to kind of you know uh, again bifurcate uh, uh, in terms of uh, who is paying for what, uh, almost 80 85 percent of the education spend in India is done by the government. And even you know, if I see the, the enrollments and everything, the government uh, schools have got a maximum enrollments in terms of you know, whatever 300, 330 million students we our school going kids we have in India. So, so it basically kind of, you know, bifurcates the market into B2G kind of a market where unless the solutions are diverted or directed towards uh, the government related thing, you are missing a bigger market chunk out of it. Obviously, you can, you still have a bigger play, bigger role to play because the market itself is almost 100 billion dollar in India itself. Um, uh, sorry, 100, 180 billion dollar I would say. And out of that around EdTech is focused around 2 billion dollars. So, uh, again, with all these numbers, um, uh, recently which I come into picture, but then EdTech is not a recent phenomenon. To give you a perspective, and if you remember, um, uh, uh, and if you heard about uh, Educom, Educom Solutions. Yes. This is a, you know, pretty old company. And I'm sure most of the guys, uh, you know, the, the new kids on the block, the newly graduated students, uh, newly minted entrepreneurs might not have heard about it because right now it's in you know insolvency court so uh, uh, so that's how you know it has been the star kid on the block um, almost uh, fetching a valuation of 7000 crores um, listed company um, a big B2G player so very very important to understand that it was not a B2C player which you know most of the guys are trying, trying to do because obviously uh, things were not the same the way they are right now Right today we have the you know the data you know available very freely and at the speed which is unimaginable at that point of time uh, the smartphone penetration is significantly high so that time point of time obviously those enabling factors were not there but then uh, B2G making a inroads into you know a government dominated sector where the guy almost had an access to almost twenty five to thirty thousand schools and you know a few million students. And it was a hardware focused kind of, you know, a solution. But it got into, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the typical corporate finance issues in terms of, you know, the wrong selling approach wherein it uh, funded the hardware, it funded the schools, it got into a lot of uh, debt issues and then ultimately, you know, um, uh, uh, recovery issues from the schools, um, upfront funding of the hardware equipment. So it was not a software approach, more on, more of a hardware approach where want to digitize the school completely um, and it ended up into uh, you know troubles and now fighting the fight into the NCLT. So um, that was a hardcore school digitization kind of a you know, solution by an IIM guy. Uh, I remember the name Shantanu. Yeah, okay. So, um, uh, and you said B2G, it, their primary purpose was to target B2B, the government. Yeah, primary B2G as well as B2B but okay. then more uh, government schools than the private schools. So, um, 
but again you know uh, the selling model creates a problem and uh, i'm sure you know the one of the most celebrated uh, startup um, today also in edtech uh, have got some kind of you know those issues which have been reported which have been talked about because selling tactics or the selling model itself you know uh, leads to those issues um, so we'll come to that as well so that was one of the earliest kind of you know edtech solution which was there in india so if i have to kind of you know uh, run you through that history in terms of edtech or what happened as far as um, education innovation is concerned and you remember you know i, I rather remember very fondly um, you know we used to have floppy disks then cd roms and then overhead overhead projectors in the classrooms those were the, that those were the technological tools which we kind of you know transition from then the then came you know the um, your pen drive and then you know you kind of you know actually kind of had you know the uh, video recorded lessons for mm-hmm. that matter mm-hmm. and in the satellite driven coaching classes so i remember in during my ca days um, there were you know uh, talks about um, how delhi based uh, one of the star lecture star lecturers used to conduct a class in a big uh, kind of you know uh, auditorium almost accommodating 5000 students at a time and then he used also used to live stream that both classes to satellite so obviously that point of time we did not have a telecommunication 3g or 2g only was there uh, so used to have used that vsat uh, link uh, of istro and used to live cast those uh, lectures <laughs> and um, in those were the days uh, uh, it's not that you know that edtech edtech or technology was not there obviously whatever technology was available at that point of time was being used uh, um, i also happened to kind of you know did some of the video recorded lectures and you know uh, um, some kind of you know live classes where i was taking the um, lectures um, to uh, you know uh, 500 remote based uh, students mm. so um, it has evolved from there and now obviously with the advent of the technology with the advent of the uh, you know the, the digital solutions which are available now we have more software based approach more mobile first approach um, um and yes um, uh, uh, it wants to solve the basic fundamental problems which are there in education correct as yeah. you keep saying that you know the scalability has been a problem student to teacher ratio has been a problem access which is a fundamental problem mm-hmm. where you know uh, somebody who has an access to better uh, and a quality teaching and somebody who doesn't have an access who just because geographically is constrained uh, uh, even though financially may not be mm-hmm. but he doesn't have an access so you know those all issues i think technology is trying to solve here wherein um, being a mobile first approach any any student sitting maybe at the corner of uh, you know in a, in a village is able to access to that star lecture taking lectures in delhi example so uh, you know people are evolved um, i think um, uh, what the, the example which i gave about the delhi uh, lecture typically same example is given uh, about um, baiju's founder as well correct, correct. Uh, and that's how you know the india's only rather i would say still only unicorn uh, was born um, from that and um, typically if you see the way they have evolved um, over the period and you will also agree it's mm. more right now on uh, hardware approach and then they are getting evolved into an software approach uh, wherein personalized learnings and uh, you know the knowledge graphs and things like that will kind of you know get factored in but it's right now still more on hardware approach and hardcore selling approach where you know 
door to door you have in ground uh, feet on the ground the selling strength is significantly high and uh, through a financing uh, solutions you are kind of you know selling those um, digital content to parents not to the students where you know they are um, able to learn anywhere anything uh, uh, so basically it's only what they are trying to do they are only attacking one piece of it. the way we kind of you know learned about the structure of the entire education market they are only trying to focus on the ast after school tutoring uh, piece which is again no doubt a significant uh, you know potential uh, it has but it's only trying to kind of you know attack one piece of it and if you see from the parents perspective and i would say most of the uh, startup players till till now in india who are who have raised funding i'm not talking about somebody who has not raised you know more than 25 30 million of funding there will be many who are might be working in the different different verticals but most of the guys who have raised um, good amount of money are in the lines of bajus they are focusing on ast in one or the other form they must somebody might be doing live streaming of the classes somebody might be doing in subscription based kind of thing Uh, where they are focusing more on the teacher model, you know, they have the teachers on board and they do a live streaming. Somebody is doing a recorded video lessons, um, animated kind of content, making the you know engagement very high. And somebody might be doing you know, you know focusing or combining both of things, the recorded sessions and the live doubt uh, cracking sessions, um, uh, kind of a thing. But then more or less the approach I would say remains same. Um, the cost and economics obviously will differ in one or the other model i'm not getting into the excel calculations of it because those are very pretty simple things to do you know being um, teacher cost being one of the major cost in anything correct mm. the content development cost nowadays it's very easy mm. uh, and you know it's in one time kind of in a sunk cost but um, uh, a live streaming wherein you know you're trying to replicate the classroom kind of in a scenario and now obviously everybody is you know got used to all those zoom calls and you know video conferencing calls so that what uh, more or less a live streaming uh, um, you know people are trying to uh, move to uh, but uh, uh, fundamentally certain issues still remain uh, uh, at the core one is a divergence in terms of a decision maker and who is going to use the uh, you know that app second um, i think uh, nobody has focused on a very very critical element in the entire you know um, value chain uh the stakeholder very much who is critical is teacher and the school mm. so i think uh, that's where i think you know people have missed the entire understanding of the sector mm. who is the influencer and who um, you know in an event everything needs to go virtualized mm. what is that needs to be kind of you know, tackled first mm. uh if if you actually see in you know, obviously we will be discussing the post covid thing as well mm. um maybe i i tech up um, right now as well one of the part of it yeah sure uh, sure yeah so digitalizing content is one piece uh, but providing the platform so that that content can be there uh, and you know can be accessed by each and everybody uh, administratively and functionally in an efficient manner is another thing so uh, nobody kind of you know provided attention to that piece where you know the uh, nobody thought that you know how can i virtualize the entire classroom or virtualize the entire school so everybody kind of you know focused on virtualizing or digitizing the content piece of it wherein or making the content more engaging so you might have you know digital textbooks animated content and everything but uh, what if i have to tomorrow as a teacher uh, take my class of 60 um, completely you know address them virtually and conduct a class also virtually 
so, so, I think, so, yeah, so, yeah, so, so, yeah, so here I had like one basic question. So you, you were talking about Educom, which was very hardware intensive. And then now you're saying again that this is where we probably need to go back. So am I missing something, you know, or, or, so, so, uh, was it, why did Educom fail? I had the impression it failed because it was very hardware intensive. No, no, no. So Educom did not fail per se. What I believe is not because they were hardware focused, rather, their entire financing mechanism was wrong. Was what okay. they ended up doing was, uh, you know, they heavily funded the schools to buy those uh, equipments. Mm. Correct. So, mm. um, what happened, uh, you know, especially for an educom case was, you know, they funded those guys and, you know, when school came back saying that the hardware is not efficient enough or it's not up to their satisfaction, they kind of, you know, returned it back and then that created a complete cash flow problem for them. And even, you know, Typically in B2B case, the recovery becomes a bigger issue from schools, correct? So mm-hmm. even if you have a feet on the ground, uh, 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 the recovery cycles are long, even the sales cycle are uh, very long. So today even, even that was the case I'm talking about almost you know, 10 to 15 years back. Even today, none of the EdTech players want to focus on B2B piece. If you ask any player whether they are actually reaching out to schools and ensuring that, you know, uh, a particular school adopts their entire you know, K-12 content to be delivered to their students, they are saying they are not adopting that approach because that sales cycle is very long. Mm, mm. And the incentives are differently aligned there. So even B2G case also is a similar case where, you know, if you can go to a particular district um, uh, and ensure that, you know, all the municipal schools in that district kind of, you know, latch on to uh, your content, yeah. it's not happening because nobody wants to pay for it first thing. And even if they pay, want to pay for it, they want to pay it based on learning outcomes, which itself are very difficult to prove mm-hmm. uh, based on, you know, what you have been able to develop. Because nobody wants to do, actually, you know, go and do the district approach, whether what you want to, you are claiming whether you will be able to achieve it or not. And typically, unlike other startups or other entrepreneurs um, or the sectors where transaction is like, you know, every day or maybe, you know, few weeks, uh, maybe the transaction happens only once in a year. And you have to wait for a year to decide or look at the outcome. That's a very, very critical thing. You know, the sales cycle becomes significantly long, minimum a year. And again, you have to come, go back and convince a person to buy for the next year. So, uh, you know, um, uh, it's like, you know, if you see in a wholesale banking or if you see in a, you know, even a, any B2B kind of, you know, uh, sector, uh, that's where, you know, those issues are there. Interesting account relationship management and ensuring that the customer remains loyal to you. So I think from hardware focus, it still needs to be there because ultimately you have to take a full stack approach. Uh, you are focusing on ASD. Um, I can agree because that's a, that's also an you know enough sufficient large market to address. But given a choice, if you ask me as a parent or as a you know um, a teacher. If I'm already spending X rupees on certain thing, which, you know, in the current scenario might go virtual already, why will I pay X plus Y for a similar kind of content, um, you know, uh, and that too, like, you know, if I'm not getting significant benefit out of it, which I'm not very sure. Because nobody, if you actually go out and survey, nobody has stopped the physical after school tutoring. So people rather has become, the students have become more burdened. They are doing their they're doing their physical coaching classes and they also have as an additional top-up kind of thing these you know the after-school tutoring apps subscription wherein they if they want to kind of you know 
learn something or at their pace and want to kind of you know look at the content in a different way they just have it for their kind of you know additional kind of you know, resources at their disposal so from uh, the spend perspective it becomes triple so hmm. so the purpose what why i went for to the hardware pieces if somebody can address this so you know need and the gap uh, and combine all the three in one and kind of show that cost benefit overall benefit to uh, a spender the parent basically then i think the adoption can be significant and that should should be rooted through teacher it should not be rooted through parent because the entire approach becomes you know very difficult so even though b2b is i am I'm, i'm rather you know pitching for a very very uh, difficult proposition here okay. everybody has gone to b2c everybody has you know uh, chosen that you know okay it doesn't you know i we really don't mind if uh, you know somebody ends up spending triple of what he is supposed to pay but we still go with that influencing tactic rather than adopting a very difficult path of b2b and going through you know a teacher influencer model rather than a parent influencer model so i think that that should be something which i feel if somebody can crack even even if tomorrow if somebody has like you know because that that's where the inflection point can come very fast if assuming you know out of um, uh, 5000 schools take an example in the one cluster 2000 schools are already there as far as one of the particular player is concerned the rest is going will come at a very very fast rate but if you mm-hmm. just split that into and kind of you know bit to second kind of thing the entire cost of acquisition uh, cac cost of acquiring customer itself will be very very huge so it's more about uh, you know i think the mindset rather than anything else correct so i i think what touched me was the one of the points that you mentioned that i often hear from tech entrepreneurs or even education entrepreneurs is that uh, while as you said the money is paid up front while that may be seeming as a positive side in terms of cash flow but it is very difficult to quantify why the child is doing well or not doing well is it because of me is it because of environmental conditions at home is it because of the child uh, uh, taking help from his friends so that's where you know i think the the the, the ability to uh, clearly measure metrics for uh, the effectiveness becomes very difficult and hence that is also a uh, a reflection on the ability to convince the the decision makers be it the parent or the teachers so uh, so yeah just taking a step backwards interesting you, you sort of took us through a lot of uh, different models so uh, for the benefit of some of our viewers or, or listeners so can you take us to some of the key players either in india and of course china because it's right next door right you know probably three or four key players who you think have made an impact uh in in the last uh, last few years let's say uh, in india or even china for that matter i mean we got the ones with who you think uh, of course pre covid are the ones to look out for or would have been to look up to yeah 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 sure sure so um, interesting interesting i think china has always been you know one country where you can always uh, see most of the things happening way way earlier than entire world and rather i would say that whatever can happen in china must happen in india as well uh, so uh, from and definitely from technology perspective it was more or less from a cultural perspective from the demographic perspective um, uh, obviously governments uh, the political systems are different but i think from all uh, from couple of these uh, you know points of view i think uh, more or less the aspirations uh, match uh, significantly 
so uh, from adoption which is uh, or the behavior which is one of the most critical thing in uh, you know these particular transitions uh, i think that's where you know we can always have that comparison but i typically keep quoting china in the electric vehicle adoption as well or rather everybody gives an example of china the way they have been able to transform uh, or transition into the entire electric vehicle uh, uh, segment the same way from education perspective uh, again uh, not many people know we always keep saying that whenever edtech comes to indian entrepreneurs uh, or indian investors uh, mind the only example that we have right now is baidu because that's the only unicorn we have we typically kind of major a sector attractiveness based on how many unicorns they have been able to produce and obviously overall funding which is being pushed into it um, hmm. so from that perspective china has got seven unicorns in it wow and uh, you know in, um, uh, if i have to give you in perspective um, uh, tal education group um, uh, is one of the chinese education and technology enterprise it's already listed on nyc and has almost a market cap of 20 billion dollars wow so uh, not and privately funded so that you know you can question the valuation of it <laughs> so the bubble in the valuation this is a listed nyc stock uh, 20 billion dollars and huge numbers means you know even a top line which is almost like 3 billion dollars so it's not that you know there is only a valuation gain uh, but the revenues are almost like 3 billion dollars so it's huge and the number of teachers the hybrid kind of approach it's not only a technology player it's offline online uh, uh, technology as well and you know and everything basically you know you name it in terms of you know the hardware software solution the uh, school uh, equipment digital equipment so um, that's all the led uh, the breadth and the depth of the um, um, sector it has understood it is present across uh, those pieces so like you know we discussed about the pingan mm. and the healthcare giant in china which is present you, you name it in terms of an healthcare uh you know one of the sub segment and it's there and it's the leader in that the same way tal has been one of that uh, player mm-hmm. and then obviously there are a few others in an individual kind of you know um uh, categories so as to say uh, there are there is vitk and there is an itutor so uh, english language is one of the bigger focus in china because obviously uh, english language tutoring is one of uh, the key thing for chinese um, uh, millennials Mm. so i think um, from that perspective there are many startups who focused on english language duolingo yuan uh, fudao also is one of the thing itutor group is one thing so uh, they 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 are into uh, you know few different different segments uh, some of them is into the uh, you know uh, specifically homework assistance kind of thing uh, so i think uh, um, we have lot to learn from china because china definitely puts a significant premium cultural premium on education same way with india as well we always see education as panacea for all our problems and education can actually and it has proven uh, we see so many uh, you know india uh, indian born uh, ceos uh, of the you know all the mncs and the fortune 100 companies uh, i think if you ask them education is something which has kind of you know helped them to reach there um and if you see chinese families uh, as against indian families oh, definitely the spend uh, percentage uh, uh, will be higher but mm-hmm. chinese are kind of you know, willing to spend almost 30% of their income on education 
India still hasn't kind of, you know, I would say, uh, uh, you know, really realize that fact that education can be one of the bigger, bigger segment uh, uh, for the digitization. So, uh, I, I was reading one stat, uh, it was interesting that, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, uh, most of the sectors have been digitized, uh, uh, if you see, but uh, if you look at the education, mm-hmm. education percentage as far as the digitization is concerned, it's only 3%. Okay. With regard to digitization, only 3% of 6 trillion is spent on education. And 75% is spent on only physical delivery, that is teacher salary and the property. Correct, correct, correct. So, um, uh, with because, uh, all the factors, see when um, typically uh, uh, it is said that you know, convergence is the key for you know that inflection point to come. The convergence of multiple factors Mm. which are already there for education sector. The technology is there, the enabling environment in terms of the internet and the data. Again, it's one of the statistics wherein it is said that higher internet speeds are very, very conducive for, you know, the digitization of an education specifically. Mm. So that's already there in India and China. Mm. Obviously, thanks to the entire telecom revolution which happened in India, also to China as well. Both of them have kind of, you know, leapfrog in terms of the data availability, data speed and everything, even the smartphone penetration. So, I think these two, two, three things are very, very critical. So, if most of those things, enabling factors are there, I think what is important is that, you know, the private capital coming into the sector and ensuring that, you know, um, uh, you take a holistic approach. Um, so, somebody become a full stack player, I think that is still not there. Like Tal Education, you don't have a private player who is a full stack player. Uh, who is present across uh, uh, the entire value chain. Offline online is important because um, I'll come to that uh, you know point where uh, you know people are talking about that everything will go online, everything will become online. And I don't think education is something which um, have to go or will ever go to that kind of you know, uh, you know way uh, that path. So the online offline hybrid has to be the uh, thing and. Um, um, we have a lot to learn from China, I feel. Uh, it's, it's Even if it is a copy-paste approach and we can replicate it very cleverly, I think that that will be like, you know, decapon, um, you know, uh, path. So, we can have a decapon of it. So, it's interesting. I mean, you, you spoke about seven unicorns in China, which is one of its full stack and a lot of them are sort of category or vertical specific. And you spoke of just one in India. So, so, so does, does it mean that in India... The, it's the, the the potential is still sort of underexplored. Yes, we hear a lot of you know news about funding being raised, but as such, uh, till now, Baiju is the only name that I hear from you. So is my assessment uh-huh. correct? Yeah, because I, I again you know typically uh, just feeding into what you know viewers want to hear. <laughs> so typically, Baiju is the name which everybody has heard about, but obviously there are many other players. Um, just to kind of you know name few, Vedantu has been a new kid on the block and has been raising money. Okay. Uh, and with a new approach of you know live streaming the classes with uh, 
फुल टीचर स्टार टीचर कैंड ऑफ एन अप्रोच यू नो सो वेदांतु हैज बीन कैंड ऑफ रेजिंग गुड मनी विथ फाउंडर्स ऑब्वियसली हैविंग अ लॉट ऑफ अंडरस्टैंडिंग एंड बैकग्राउंड ऑफ द एजुकेशन इंडस्ट्री बिकॉज दे हैव वर्क इन एन ऑफलाइन एजुकेशन इंडस्ट्री और दे सीम टू बी वेरी वेल प्रेजेंट इंटरेस्टिंग पॉइंट इज देविंग फंडेड बाई टैल एजुकेशन Okay. So I think that is one of the biggest plus point because they, if they have been able to draw those uh, learnings from uh, Tal people, uh, what they did in China, I think that would be wonderful for Vedantu to kind uh, of you know step up the game and uh, be maybe you know the the second unicorn after Beijing's. Uh, uh, obviously, there are other topper is one of them, but um, haven't kind of you know raised money for long period of time. Uh, Uh, but uh, i think uh, uh, they crossed and seen one of the major milestone of you know reaching 1 million students sometime a uh, few months back uh, so i think that's also one of the uh, big milestone access to say in a relatively underfunded industry i would say okay. so uh, reaching a 1 million students is not a small number although the market is almost 200 to 300 million students so we haven't uh, and that too it's in terms of touch, you know touching 1 million students so we're not talking about you know uh registered users and the paid users um, at all so um, still uh, you know byju's has taken a significant chunk there um, with almost 30 to 40 million kind of users uh, registered users um don't know the paid users number there but um, still you know we haven't even reached or you know 50% of the market potential mm-hmm. uh, so still lot of as because again you know the way the market is structured you know almost 60 70% is in the government kind of sector mm-hmm. which typically nobody is accessing and then there are you know the legacy players are there um, akash tutorial is somebody who wanted to go on ipo way but then kind of you know um, face some hurdles and then ultimately got acquired by blackstone mm-hmm. so that's a big move because mm-hmm. that's what kind of an pe comes in and you know acquires it uh, for a few thousand crores uh, uh, and they have a big plans to go uh, you know digital so akash digital has is becoming one of the bigger segment in the entire play and these guys i would give uh, more weightage because they uh, definitely understand uh, you know uh, on ground sentiment of all the stakeholders maybe the teacher maybe the student or maybe the parent and they have been present in offline thing for a long time so um, if they can you know do their uh, technology right if they can build uh, you know the platforms right i think uh, it will be only a uh, you know question of time in terms of when they can kind of you know cross uh, the leading uh, online players or the tech players like byju's byzantium and topper extra max is another player uh, again with a hybrid approach of both uh, offline online presence uh, um and career point is a listed player um listed long time back but have been kind of you know uh, language stock not doing well mm-hmm. they also are trying to kind of you know get into the online space because everybody wants to know obviously you know ensure that they are kind of you know digital they are present both of physical as well as digital because digital obviously has its own advantage we all know so i would not like kind of you know uh, and the cost of residency would not like to say the same thing in terms of you know distribution the Scale that it can bring to anybody. One teacher serving, uh, you know, uh, as against 60 batch, uh, batch of 60 can kind of you know serve almost 500. So Vedantu does the same thing. Live streaming earlier, it has constant in terms of technology. How many students they, it can serve? Now it has got a platform called Wave, 
uh, wherein it can almost uh, almost find its students um, at a time. Mm-hmm. So once to and that's why they kind of you know even pay that kind of salaries to uh, the teachers. We have heard about obscene salaries paid to the IIT and to guys in quota factory of okay. one crore, one and a half crore, two crores. Similar kind of salaries are being paid to these teachers as well. So the it's not that you know the startups, the only founders and the CEOs, the CFOs get that kind of salary. Nowadays, even the uh, if you are a freelancer teacher um, in uh, Vedantu, you may end up earning one year. So, so very interesting. You spoke about, uh, I mean, twice spoke about teacher salaries being the largest component. I had the impression teacher salaries were the largest component only in the offline format. But what I gather is, even in the edtech, it is catching up pretty soon. So one is, you know, to tell me if my assessment is correct. And second is, in addition to, uh, if I look at the business model, teacher salaries is one. But what about the other things like cost of customer acquisition and, and any other pricings? I mean, how, how does it, the whole economic model work out? I mean, if you, whatever is, I think, uh, you understand of the whole industry. Yeah. So, so um, again, as I mentioned earlier, I would not like to get into the Excel thing because typically, you know, it's very subject to it varies from the model to model. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, what I can tell you to your first question, um, it it's only applicable where you know the uh, focus is more on live streaming and uh, you know uh, teacher being there present at all point of time whenever classes are conducted. So I think for live streaming, uh, the star teachers are the attraction. The way the star doctors are an attraction to catch the patient, typically in the hospital industry, uh, you always end up paying the star doctor very high amount because he ultimately brings his followers, his patients um, to the hospital. The same logic goes um, and applies to the um, education tutoring industry as well. Typically, um, uh, uh, a teacher will be very, very famous for a particular um, subject um, in a particular geography. So, he, people will ensure that, you know, he's there because of his teaching style, because of his acumen or, you know, the way he explains things, whatever it may be. So, he may kind of, you know, get um, a significant salary. And the math is very simple there, correct, you know. Typically, if the guy is kind of, you know, teaching only um, a few hours uh, uh, in a month, uh, only 60 students in a physical environment, well, those 60 students will remain same. Even if you have batches and 5, 10, 15 batches, you have, can acquire maximum, like, you know, uh, in a year, 500 students kind of thing. Whereas here, you can accommodate 500 students in one lecture itself. So that ratio becomes almost like, you know, 1 is to 35, 1 is to 50 kind of thing. So uh, if the revenue kind of, you know, goes 50x example, even if you assume that, you know, you cut down on the ticket size by 50%, it still is like, you know, 35x of the revenue that if you are able to earn, you can end up paying more salary to the guy so that he is there. Because, because again, it's very important to pay high salaries to these guys is because a lot of disintermediation happens in this sector as well. The way it happens in doctors where, you know, doctor can actually take the patient private and, you know, it may cost um, uh, the institution. The same way these guys are, that will, you know, very entrepreneurial. Uh, they want to kind of, you know, they will go out and start their own academy or start their own thing. When students will start, you know, logging into the competitor's website. So, from that perspective, it is important because they also know the economics very well in terms of how are you making the money. Uh, uh, and it has been a problem with all the startup, correct? The drivers uh, cheating the ride-hailing uh, startup, wherein they ensure that the customer directly comes to it so that 
he says that 20% commissions should be shared. So same logic applies here as well. So it is important that they are paid well um, because they know the economics well, and it is it gets justified in the overall cost model as well. So uh, here it becomes the bigger strain on the uh, unit economy because the salary becomes a very you know big variable factor in the entire um, P and L. But as against that, if you see the pre-recorded um, animated content kind of thing, there once the content is content is developed for a concept, example. The Pythagoras theorem remains same for ages. It's not going to, you know, change. So there, there the beta and the leverage that you can have based on a single cost element that you have spent to develop Pythagoras theorem, you can leverage it next for next hundred years. Correct. If you, if it is, if you know, unless you, you know, yourself decided, okay, after every two years, three years, I want to go back and you know, kind of make it more interesting or change it kind of thing. But definitely. Uh, the viewer is going to be a different every year, so he will not, you know, he will never come to know that you know the same content is being played for uh, last 15 years. Example, okay. so it may not really give you that motivation that you know you have to go and change it because there are any customer feedback in the car is viral showing me the same thing again and again. So from that perspective, the recorded uh, content and an animated content really you know scores well because the cost is one time as again said revenue or whatever comes on the top of it, everything kindly kind of directly adds to a bottom line. But again, how do you balance this? Because people don't want recorded lessons. Yep. You know, people want and live streaming because they want to kind of replicate the physical classroom ex- experience. Hmm. So that's where, you know, uh, this this uh, in terms of finding the right solution uh, or rather right product market fit, which, you know, everybody kind of talks about in a startup language. Product market fit is still not there as far as the tech is concerned because people are still experimenting in terms of what really fits well. People may say that you know the pre-recorded uh, tab embedded SD cards are really doing well for Vajus, so that's the way to go ahead. But again, if you see the response to the you know no, Vedantu's live streaming session and everybody now kind of you know latching onto the live streaming, people immediately realize that oh yes. This is what I have been kind of experimenting or experiencing for long, and now I'm experiencing it in a, you know, uh, um, sitting at my home uh, on my laptop. So uh, without kind of you know, compromising on anything. So I think that's very important in terms of how do you kind of you know balance those things. And still, I think it is you know an evolving phase, experimentation phase, uh, where people have not been able to kind of figure out uh, what really might work well in the long term. It's still being kind of you know played out. Uh, um, uh, in terms of you know uh, customer perception and what the feedback is, so that was you know uh, broadly the two models, and then you know you can have you know the competitive exam added to it. You have obviously almost a million students sitting for JE need uh, that kind of examination, and then with you know very um, uh, low passing rate or you know in terms of a very uh, few seats which are available to it, but still the aspirations are very high. People end up paying the lot of uh, money to that and um, that that's, that's one of the good market and um, there are many multiple players I would say offline as well as online players because you really don't have you create a large question bank um, and you know have those uh, recorded sessions and then have maybe full full time 10 IITNs or 10 professors who can you know track all those uh, uh, doubts for you and at the same time create obviously a very nice um, uh, AI based algorithm which can track uh, or create that personalized social gra- uh, knowledge graph for the student 
and I think uh, that's the recipe typically most of the people are trying to do. Obviously, uh, these are like you know the nuts and bolts of building the app, building the basic uh, uh, you know ingredients uh, to give that uh, entire ethic kind of you know uh, dish to you. But ultimately, what really makes a differentiation is the distribution. So that's where the people are facing the problem because the uh, pricing and selling. These are the two bigger issues um, because as we have been talking about, the decision maker is different. Uh, the ticket size is very high. We are going and selling a product which is almost uh, worth uh, 50 to 80,000 kind of rupees. And uh, you are asking him to invest for a couple of years into that product where the outcome is not really visible because right now, you know, they haven't got that vintage where they can like Allens or the FITG or the Extramax or Akash, they can demonstrate the success year on year. Based on we have produced 600 rankers, we have produced 500 rankers. They don't have that kind of you know history behind them uh, to prove their credibility. So multiple problems. Um, they are kind of you know taking the help of the financing companies, NDFC led selling, wherein they offer an offer discounting EMI. So maybe an hidden kind of you know uh, selling tactic. So all those things people are experimenting. Uh, uh, the people rather you know the, many of the guys have become a selling organization rather than an edtech organization because you have almost like 80% of their employees are a sales uh, type uh, and uh, hardly anybody from an education background. So that also is an interesting piece, you know, um, like for example in a healthcare, imagine a healthcare startup where nobody is a doctor, everybody is a technologist and, you know, uh, engineer. So imagine what kind of outcomes you will have. Similarly, uh, you know, you don't have, because, because, uh, I, I wanted to kind of start the discussion on that note that where, you know, each of, each one of us kind of, you know, have earned some sort of education. So we always have that right to, you know, have some opinion on education as a sector. Right? Yes. So a lot of anchoring bias always comes into picture whenever we speak uh, anything on education. So typically, uh, you know, uh, that's where things, you know, uh, you know, fall a bit uh, different way. Uh, where you don't have education is to understand the pedagogical methods of learning and you know how typically the sector is constructed because we know that you know uh, or we view the sector as if you know as I was a student or my parents were the you know we put all of them into the same situation and try to analyze it. So I think that answering bias is something which uh, needs to be done away with but uh, Indian startup I would say still kind of you know trying to find a product market fit uh, and I think with COVID, everything has changed. I think that's where uh, the tipping point has come. And when yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so why don't you jump to COVID? I mean, how do you think this whole COVID changes everything? I mean, who, who will survive? Who will die? Business models, how they will change? I mean, what's your, if you, if you can crystal gaze, what would, what would come to your mind? You know, how, how would, how would it change? See, I think uh, COVID has, is going to have a significant impact because first thing is it is a forced experimentation across the globe and none of the you know uh, stakeholder or none of the you know players in the valuation which we talked about has been spared uh, because of this so you name uh, harvard you name all the ivy league university or you name a municipality school in india none of them has been spared everybody has been forced but everybody is locked down you can't stop the education uh, example in uh, entire higher education industry is going to significant transformation, most of them have always resisted because the university models uh, are a cross-subsidization model where they earn higher from an international students and subsidize the domestic students. 
and the cost of higher education is like has gone out of the roof. If you see the student debt problem is one of the biggest problem in US, with almost like you know a few trillion dollar of debt in that form. And if I was looking at the number, I was like stunned. Only only 58 percent of them are paying. Whereas 42% are either under forbearance or the facing some other difficulties. So that's a huge, even student bad debt problem, I would say. Uh, so cost of higher education has gone through the roof. Um, uh, people, or rather, university models always resisted, even though MOOC, math, and online open courses have been the one of the key mandates for the professors. Uh, Coursera kind of you know, um, uh, came out of it. Coursera, uh, uh, you know. Um, Emeritus and multiple other players, um, you know, uh, built their business model around it. But still, from an MOOC perspective, it is still, you know, you have all those sundry courses, not the key, uh, you know, the highlight uh, courses of the university. And still, the access is very, very difficult. In that context, when COVID-19 comes, you are locked down. Nobody can move around. The travel is restricted, and then you are forced to ensure that you are moving on to. The complete virtual platform. So, so the the new admission cycle has started. The 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 next year, um, uh, you know, the uh, teaching needs to kind of you know start immediately, and you don't have an option but to go virtual. So, um, I think entire university model, uh, which relied on you know people moving there, people paying for it, and people kind of you know really um, extracting a high premium out of it. I think it will it will um, completely Go for a toss. They'll have to adopt a different model. Uh, Offlet um, Coursera. If I, um, I was browsing through Coursera, there were only couple of uh, you know um, very good universities who were offering online MBAs. Uh, and obviously, cost was half of the you know the normal MBA on-campus MBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and post-COVID, now I could see almost uh, not on Coursera but on their individual kind of you know website. Almost there are ten to fifteen MBA schools um, and good MBA schools have started offering the online MBA, uh, and everything has kind of you know moved virtual. You are suddenly you know you will find a valuation differential in uh, emeritus uh, emeritus learning uh, who provides uh, you know a good platform for university that online program management which the piece which we talked about in the structure uh, that I think will go significant um, you know changes because. Uh, Typically, for an entire university to be managed virtually is a Herculean task if they are not prepared for it. And uh, mind it, many of them have not prepared for this eventually because everybody felt that this is the ultimate model which we have discovered, where people or students want to come to campus and learn and pay, uh, you know, a top dollar for it. Um, uh, I think that will undergo change. And again, coming back to as per the higher education discussion, that was a scenario which I feel has undergone a change. Come, come to the competitive testing scenario. The GMAT and uh, GRE and IELTS and TOEFL, uh, hitherto you have to go to the center and give the exam, and that's where the designated slots. They have to kind of go back to the table and find out a solution wherein they now have offered in-home test 24/7. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That yeah. is. That is. is that they could have offered earlier as well, correct? What was yeah. stopping them from offering that thing? Whosoever, I understand. Obviously, you know the infra availability. Some people may not have a good environment at home. People may not have a webcam available at home. Not laptop is not available. Connectivity is not available. There might be many issues, but it's not the case, correct? At least you can, you know, 
maybe 60-70% of the people can actually view tests from the home. And now it is already available in a span of couple of weeks. So that's the kind of you know acceleration in terms of solutioning which has happened. And imagine the possibilities that if you can give GMAT kind of test or a GRE kind of test sitting at home, proctored. It's a proctored test. Your webcam is on, you're watched for entire three, three and a half hours. Uh, so in the uh, practically the you know the typically only that's the worry of any you know test basically you know a, a test taker doing some mischief. So I think that goes away and uh, if that is something and 24/7 it is available for it. So you don't have to travel. So imagine the first disruptor or the first casualty in this process will be the Pearson centers, correct? Yeah. The 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 Pearson center, the the one who are you know getting paid based on the uh, annuity kind of a return. So those will get disrupted. So that has kind of you know has been the second order effect uh, because of the entire uh, COVID-19 thing. And then obviously the schools um, suddenly everybody have latched on to the Zoom calls, WhatsApp calls, uh, uh, Google Classroom has you know surprisingly kind of you know taken over uh, uh, any other app in terms of an edtech app and has clocked 50 million downloads. Correct. So the, the, that was the exact piece which I was talking about when I mentioned, you know, content versus digital platform. The Google Classroom provides that kind of platform or, you know, Microsoft Teams provide that kind of platform where anybody, uh, irrespective of sector, can lash onto it and, you know, it provides those collaboration productivity tools which are kind of, you know, usable in a virtualized environment. So Google Classroom for that matter provides everything which a teacher or a school requires to administer a class and you know operate it efficiently so that's where you know you see a content provider have not one whereas google classroom has suddenly kind of become you know dark horse in the entire covid post covid 19 kind of you know, scenario so i think lot of this will continue to happen and again google classroom because obviously the name google is there it becomes kind of you know very very ubiquitous trustworthy to so as to say although many people might differ on that but uh, uh, yes, everybody has a Gmail account and you get to download the G Suite um, very quickly and um, uh, the, the tools are fantastic, I would say, um, which again, none of the startups at a scale, there may be few startups who have kind of you know, done things, but then they are not about funding that are not there in terms of scale, they don't have visibility uh, and the, the ones who have got the visibility are busy building only, you know, the content and after school tutorial content. So they are obviously of not help two schools in this situation where everybody has gone and moved on to a virtual environment. They don't want to digitize content at this center. What they want is, you know, whether they can take the assessments remotely, whether they can take the lectures remotely, whether they can monitor the students remotely, attendance remotely. So all those, you know, very, very minute, you know, aspects in terms of an you know, operational aspects, how can you kind of, you know, move from physical to virtual? I think somebody provides an attention to all these factors, I think that's where the entire digitization, you know, project comes into picture, you know, let's think like an IT project example, you know, where people want to kind of, you know, digitize each and every process of an organization. If I take a school as an organization and want to kind of digitize each and every piece of it, what are I will end up doing? Rather than only focusing on digitizing the course books and, you know, uh, animating the content and creating the personalized graph. Because at the end of the day, even if you do, I do a live streaming, I'm not solving that. I'm not solving the problem of, you know, one is to one kind of, you know, ratio. Um, it still will exclude so many students who are not paying attention to what is being taught. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. 
so it 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 um, on that note i remember one very very good uh, study which was done and that it is called an two sigma problem um i'll just quote from one of the standard you know in 1980s an education psychologist benjamin bloom he conducted a series of tests where students kind of you know were assigned to three learning conditions one was a, a typical and conventional where you know you have 1 is to 30 1 is to 60 kind of you know ratio uh, and in conventional method where you take uh, uh, lectures and you take the test and you know you give the marks correct that's a very simple thing and second is the tutoring kind of thing uh sorry second is the masterly learning where you know you kind of you know give a feedback you correct course correct the person and you know you kind of you know ensure that he becomes a master of it um there also student uh, teacher ratio remains more or less same but only the approach is bit different in so it's not a mark for exam oriented approach where other concept learning approach and the third is the tutoring approach where um, the ratio is not more than 1 is to 3 so it's like you drastically reduce it by 10x or a 60x kind of thing and the approach again is open master learning where you want to you know ensure that um, uh, student learns the concept very well so basically it picks up the best of earlier to um, uh, lesser kind of you know from a student teacher ratio and focus on more on the concept learning and the it's a 1980 experiment correct mm. it it still proves that the outcome was basically in a third the tutoring approach okay. uh, the average tutored student outperform 98% of the students in the first control group okay. that is your uh, you know uh, conventional thing mm. and 84% of the second master learning wala group mm-hmm. so can you imagine so yeah. so what we are trying to say here is that again means why am i why i give that example is uh, in a physical classroom we say that ratio is 1 is to 60 a student cannot give attention to everybody and i want to solve that problem with a technology whereby i'll do a live streaming not to physical contact i'm seeing each of them on a zoom call example mm-hmm. even if i have a facial detection algorithm in place wherein i'm tracking the pupils of each and every student whether he's paying attention or not mm-hmm. that's what is being touted as one of the you know solution to it and i'm having not 60 students and 500 students out on to it how am i going to solve this problem one is to one tutoring where yeah. my learning outcomes is going to be significantly higher yeah yeah rather i am complicating the things yeah. by bringing more students on and you know creating that one is to 100 one is to 500 one is 1000 kind of a scenario whether you will have absolutely no clue at least in one is to 60 you as a teacher as a seasoned teacher you might have a clue that you know 10 people are missing on what i am saying hmm. in one is to 1000 it is absolutely impossible in terms of what you will be able to find out who is really paying attention who is not really paying attention so i still feel from that perspective uh, you know post covid 19 the technology adoption is uh, going to be uh, significantly accelerated but uh, uh, the one is to one the teacher ratio the fundamental objectives for which we are inventing edtech should not be forgotten so anyway so yeah so yeah so, so thanks man that for uh, taking us through this you know the entire it's, it's been almost like an hour for uh our and that discussion to happen I, i think we can keep going on and on and on but but yeah. just towards the end I mean, what's your verdict i mean what what's your sense of where edtech is going to be i mean does it still excite you or 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 what i mean i mean what what, what what's your verdict see i i'm, I'm uh, if i if i to say it in a bullish or bearish kind of a you know, terminology i'm still very bullish uh, on edtech as a segment and uh, 
you know overall transformation that it can bring because you know it's it's like you know billion people coming into the sector every year correct mm-hmm. so that's what that number is you know and uh, uh, by sheer market size by sheer you know necessity of education in an individual's life i don't think it's going to die anytime anytime for that matter so i think it's very important um, from edtech perspective i think the agility is critical um, um you know because still product market fit i would say has not been found at least in india and in certain pockets of um, world as well china i would always exclude it because those guys are way ahead in terms of because the demand supply adjustment is significantly way uh, you know agile there and a full stack platform is something which is missing so somebody has to kind of you know really focus on a full stack platform and focus on teacher and the school and put them at the center piece rather than you know targeting student and parents because that's where i think the key uh, decision makers are uh, and they i hope they should continue to be the influencing uh, you know again my personal bias may be there but they should remain as a key influencer in the system not a student himself should be deciding what he should be doing and a very critical part of it i think you know who will be winning i would say is um, we are missing the entire you know you know the outcome of it basically you know it's not about education in the learning outcome but nowadays education is more towards you know what will be the work outcome of it because entire education is now linked to you know what job i will get or what you know i'll be able to do with that education because if that is not kind of you know established uh, people are really not finding you know uh, worth in pursuing the education because if you see the dropout ratio dropout ratio is significantly higher because ultimately if people don't have an income to earn and feed their family they'll not even invest uh, you know in an education spend as well because they want rather you know if the trade off is between a guy going to an education or a school typically it has happened in india in poverty struck uh, countries as well uh, if i have to go to and work and rather i have to go to school if i can earn more from the or rather i perceive that i can earn more from the work they will go to the work and not to the school so i think uh, from that perspective there has to be higher linkages and a demonstrable fact that education leads to you know a uh, more uh, better working condition more you know better social condition and an economic condition i think somebody who can establish that fact uh, in a professional or a lifelong learning kind of scenario will be the winner in k12 as i mentioned somebody who puts uh, school and uh, teachers at the center piece and build a full stack uh, platform i think he will be the winner rather than a content so i think um, that's it you know k12 and the higher education i think will be the key players and corporate training i would leave it um, for the time being because that's another segment as far as the lifelong learning concerned it's again brings into an another player uh, the corporations or the, or the companies uh, hr and uh, learning and development teams into the picture who are another animals to deal with so um, i think that's it that's it i think yeah yeah. yeah no that's it's phenomenal i think you 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 sort of finished it at the sort of with just the right points the fact that education or edtech needs to uh, lead to better socio economic conditions uh, in the long run and i think the need what i understand is need of the r today is to have a platform and not concentrate on content and 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 i think the covid scenario has just accelerated the entire process yes. uh, so so yeah thanks for that and then yeah we'll keep chatting so this has been very informative and thanks for giving us time Thank you thank you uncle for hosting and uh, thank you for giving me this opportunity to to you know 
uh, spend my time and you know my thoughts on this. Uh, it was really engaging conversation and really helped me to kind of you know uh, revisit uh, even my thoughts on this sector. So thanks a lot for the opportunity. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you.